This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Later in the program, we'll have a visit with Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. But first, we'll go back to 1948 and check out a show from the popular suspense-filled program, Escape. Escape enthralled many listeners during its seven-year run. The writer of the show tonight was Harold Lamb. He built a career with his writing from an early age. He got his start in the pulp magazine field. And although Harold Lamb wrote short stories for a variety of magazines between 1917 and the early 1960s, he wrote several novels, too. Tonight we're going to hear the tale of a killer on a train plotting his next murder. You are speeding through the Turkish night on the Taurus Express. You are alone and unarmed, and somewhere on the train is a calm killer from whom you must escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to Turkey, and the Taurus Express, which carries a shipment of death, as Harold Lamb told it in his exciting story, Three Good Witnesses. I took the Taurus Express that night because I was going home, back to the United States, back to California, and my routine job at the oil company. Two days before, I'd given my final report to our State Department man in Istanbul, a negative report. Mr. Ward, your considered opinion is that there is no oil in this area? Not enough to be worth drilling for, not at this late date. War would be over before we could get out 10,000 barrels. You're being optimistic, Mr. Ward. War isn't over yet. Who can say when it will be? Well, that's true, but... Uh, but what does Orvark say? He agrees with me completely. So does Wyndham, the British engineer. We're all agreed. Mm, three good witnesses, hmm? Well, then that settles it. What do you mean, three good witnesses? Oh, that's an old saying out here in the Middle East. Come from the Arabs, I think. In their old law, the testimony of three independent and trustworthy witnesses was enough to establish the guilt or innocence of an accused person. Hmm. But why three? I suppose two witnesses to a crime might tell the same lie. But if three fellas tell the same story, well, it must be true. Hmm, maybe. Now, I suppose the odds against three making up the same story would be high, but 
I don't know whether I'd like to trust my neck with that kind of justice. Yeah, it is a little different from a justice back home in Chattahoochee County. Hmm. I imagine you'll be wanting to get back to the States as soon as possible. Indeed I do. Well, I can put you on the Taurus Express Wednesday. You'll be in Cairo by Saturday. Get an ATC plane that'll have you in Washington three days later. Istanbul to Washington in less than a week. It's a small world, isn't it? So I was booked on the Taurus Express, leaving Istanbul on Wednesday night. I got to the station late, and as I walked down the long platform toward the first-class carriages, I sensed a tenseness in the crowd. First, I couldn't explain it. Then I noticed that the platform was alive with police. They stood at the door of every car, motionless, solemn-faced, carefully scrutinizing everyone who got aboard. And it seemed that everyone on that bustling platform was aware of them. I found my car near the front of the train. A policeman stood at the open door. I paused to verify the car number, and suddenly I heard a voice at my elbow. I thought I had missed you. A pair of arms twined around my neck. A pair of lips were kissing me. Pushed her away to try to see her face, but she clung to me. Tried to say something, but she kept talking so fast I couldn't get a word in. How could you do this to me? To run off without even saying goodbye? I must be with you right up to the last minute, my darling. Last I could see her. She was beautiful. Very young and very beautiful. Turkish or Greek, I couldn't tell which, but lovely. Why? You must let me go on the train with you. See you safely to your compartment. I cannot bear it. Madame, I'm afraid you're making a mistake. Please, please, you must help me. I will explain. But I... uh... Come, you will miss the train. I will see you safely on board. Come, hurry, so we may say our last goodbye in privacy. This last was thrown over her shoulder to the policeman standing there. She pulled me up the steps into the car. He stared at us, but he said nothing. In the moment, we were standing in the deserted corridor. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Now, look here, young lady. What is all this? It is the fault of those police standing up there. I could not get into the car alone. But why not? This is a first-class car. Only rich foreigners ride in first-class compartment... I could see by your clothes you were American. I knew you would help me. But why did you want to get into this car, especially? Because I... Suddenly she stopped. Her eyes were riveted on something behind my back. I turned to see a swarthy young man staring at us from the other end of the car. He was dressed in the uniform of a train conductor. Slid open a compartment door. There was an almost imperceptible jerk of his head, and then the girl slipped past me and into the open room. Conductor slid the door shut after her. Your number, sir? Huh? Oh, oh yes, yes, sir. Twelve. Yes, the next one. Here. If there is anything I can do for you, I shall be pleased. If you care to leave your ticket and passport with me, I shall be able to attend to Syrian customs without disturbing you later. As he talked, his eyes were not on me. He was watching the slow progress of a policeman through the car. Officer was walking by, glancing into each compartment. When he came opposite us, he spoke to the conductor. Polikala? Polikala. Conductor was standing squarely in front of the door of the girl's compartment, hiding her from view. Policeman walked on. In a moment, he had disappeared. Thank you, sir. I shall not disturb you. I went into my compartment. My bags were already there. The train was about to leave. Everything was in order. But I couldn't help wondering about the uh, incident I just witnessed about the girl I'd involuntarily hemped and the 
conductor. Wondered about all those police out there. Obviously, something was going on. Then I remembered. This was Istanbul, a gateway to the Middle East. It was supposed to be alive with acts of spies. Could that girl be... <laughs> and then I laughed. Just my overage, stay-at-home, mind-imagining things. Then suddenly I heard a voice hey, in the George, corridor outside. What's the big idea? The voice was unmistakably American and music to my ears. I jumped on my feet and stepped into the corridor. There outside the next compartment was a young man, in civilian clothes, carrying a small bag and a briefcase. The swarthy conductor was approaching him with a worried look. How about look. this, huh? There's a dame in my compartment. Beg pardon, sir. There must be a mistake. This is compartment number 10. Naturally. You think I can't read? Number 10, that's mine. But number 10 is not sold. It is not marked on my list. The heck it is, and I've got the ticket right here. What's with the dame? Please, not so loud. I don't get this. Uh, I... I beg your pardon. Can I be of any help? Hmm? Oh, you're an American, too. Yep. Humphrey Ward, Los Angeles. Tom Hatfield. Glad to know you. Look, what's with the dame? Do you know? No, I'm afraid please, I... Please, gentlemen, step into the compartment, please. But the girl... Please, in... Yes? Okay. Well, I... Please. I... Oh, all right. He ever does the inner. Passaria. Officer, not to come. Hey, wait a minute. Talk English. What's all this about, anyway? It is... I am embarrassed, sir. You're embarrassed. I buy a ticket and find a dame in my compartment. Of course. On closer inspection, maybe I'm not so mad after all. She looks like a good deal. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Oh, you do speak English, huh? Sir... The policeman will come by, maybe look in. I must ask of you a favor. Yeah? If she could stay here just until the train has started, she will not bother you after that. Why can't she stay in her own compartment? Please, sir, I have no place else to put her. All the other places are taken. Oh, she's a deadhead, huh? Deadhead? No ticket. Stowaway. It is something like that. Well, what's the setup? Is she your girlfriend? No, no, it is not like that. It is... You see, we are both Macedonian. She is escaping from the Nazis. She wants to go to Cairo to join the nurse corps. Oh. She has been for two years in Greece under the Nazis. Mm -hmm. She is a real patriot. If you will help her. Well, maybe if you introduced us and let her speak for herself. She is called Mara Dallas. Well, let's make it Mary for short. Mary the deadhead. Hi, Mary. Hi. You're okay. Get her. She talks American. <laughs> I spent two years at American school at Thessalonica. I work with Red Cross in Greece during the fighting. Right so? I like Americans. I want to go to the United States. Who doesn't? I want to learn to be a real nurse. You will help me. Americans are always kind. Mm -hmm. This gentleman here, he helped me get on the train. Naturally. Now you will help me. <laughs> okay? Mm. Okay. Oh, thank you, sir. Now I must go before the policeman gets suspicious. Okay, this may turn out to be a pleasure. <laughs> Looks like you don't need me. Uh, I'm in the next compartment. Maybe we'll get together later. Sure, sure. I'd offer you a seat, but we're sort of crowded already, Mary and me. <laughs> I went back to my seat laughing. Laughing mostly at the silly idea I'd had that maybe Mary the deadhead and her conductor friend were spies of some sort. Obviously, they were harmless. As harmless as, as I was. And that was completely harmless, confound it. I looked out the window as the train slid out of the station... Leaving Turkey, leaving the war, going home. Back to complacent safety. Men were out here fighting and dying. They'd get no help from me. Me. Overage and useless. <laughs> I felt pretty sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. 
wasn't until the next day that I began to get acquainted with my fellow passengers. Mary the deadhead was riding on the conductor's jump seat at the end of the car. The uh, Ruvians, an Armenian couple, were in 14, the compartment next to mine. Young Tom Hatfield was on the other side of me. And two Greek refugees, a Mr. Chiniara and a Mr. Dvikar, were next to him in eight. Hatfield kept pretty much out of sight all day, and it was Mr. Chiniara who shared a table with me at dinner that night. I didn't much care for him, but he was somebody to talk to. You Americans, you do not realize how lucky you are. No, I suppose not. You do not know what it is to be safe. Just look around you. Almost all the passengers on this express are refugees. All of them would pay much to be going to the United States as you are. Yeah, I suppose so. But yes, (laughs) where else is there any security for us? But you, sir, and your young friend are already secure. Wherever you go, you are always safe. But it is not so for us. Yeah, I suppose we do take a lot for granted. And, oh, here's Mr. Hatfield now. Uh, Hatfield, uh, won't you join us? Thanks, no, I'll just sit oh, over no, there. Oh, no, I insist. I, I was just leaving. You must join your friend. Oh, really? There's no oh, need. I insist, please. Okay, well. Thank you, Mr. Chiniara. It's been a pleasure. And for me, sir. Good evening. Good evening. Take it easy. Well, I haven't seen much of you today. Been resting, eh? Something like that. You ordered? Yes, I'll call the waiter. Never mind, he'll be back. Who's your slick-haired friend? Oh, Mr. Chiniara? He's a Greek refugee, just escaped from the Nazis. Everybody out here just escaped from the Nazis. He was saying how lucky we are to be Americans. Guess they don't see many of us in Turkey these days. I guess not. Haven't seen many of us myself. Funny, I didn't run into you in Istanbul. I wasn't there, just passing through. Oh. Now, I thought I'd have met you at the American mission or somewhere. No. I, uh... Well, I'm out here at the State Department. Oil. But I didn't have much luck. I'm going home now. Too bad. Hmm. Plenty of things for us Americans to do out here, though. Like, uh, oil and other things, you know? Of course, they give the unimportant stuff to has-beens like me. Need the good stuff for young fellows like you. Okay, Mr. Ward. Huh? What? Okay. I'm Tom Hatfield, Frankfort, Kentucky. White, Protestant, 26, unmarried. No, I'm not a draft dodger, and no, I'm not AWOL. And yes, I'm here on business, which is none of yours. I'm a captain in the Air Force. Two years overseas. You might say officially I'm on a holiday. The fact is, I'm taking this train to Adana, where I get off at 5 tomorrow morning, cross the border, and catch a plane that's waiting to take me to Cairo. Anything else you want to know? Oh, I... I'm sorry, I... No, no, no. Sit down, sit down. I'm sorry. I guess I'm getting on my own nerves. Forget it, will you? Oh, it's nothing. You needn't think that... Riding on trains is... Kind of bad for a flyer. Makes me jumpy. I understand. But uh, you must have already been through a lot. I do understand. I was in France in 1918. I know what it's like. Maybe you know better than I do. Oh, I wouldn't say that, but I envy you. I'd give anything to be in it. You're lucky you're not. Oh, I know, I know. It's no fun being old and useless like me either. I envy you. I can tell you're doing something important. You can? Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. By the way, you're so careful with that briefcase. Carry it around with you all the time. You got it on your lap now. Probably got something important in it. The statues or something. So you noticed that, did you? Well, I hope nobody else on this train is so observant, Mr. Ward. Oh, you're pulling my leg. What difference would it make, anyway? You can never tell. On a train like this, out here, you never know. Oh, you mean spies? Well, I... But Why? I haven't seen anyone who looks suspicious. Spies are never suspicious-looking, Mr. Ward. They're anybody. 
Anybody who wants to make a quick buck and doesn't care how he does it. This train is alive with people like that. Oh, yeah, but, but who? Who? Well, just take, for instance, Mary the deadhead. She's young and pretty. Yes. But she's broke. And her shifty-eyed boyfriend, the conductor. Oh, but they're Greeks. She's a refugee. So she says. But didn't it seem strange to you that he put her in my compartment by mistake? My name wasn't on the list, so he said. Were you satisfied with her story? Well... For a moment, I was suspicious, but... You can't take too much for granted. Now, for instance, the story I just told you. I might be a spy, mightn't I? That whole thing might be hogwash. Well, no, no. You're American. I know that. Who else would say hogwash? No matter. I could be an American trader. There are such things. Oh, but that... Or you might be the spy. Yeah, they even look like you. Meek and mild. Casper Milktoast. <laughs> and their cover stories are pips. Like telling you they're... Out here looking for oil. They strike up a conversation, ask questions, and notice briefcases. Oh, but look. Now, look here. Surely you don't think... No, I don't think anything. I only say, you never can tell, Mr. Ward. Of course he was kidding me, pulling my leg. But I didn't really mind. I liked him. And he had a right to be cocky and flip. He was doing something for the war effort. Even though I knew he was kidding me, I went to bed thinking about spies and fell asleep dreaming of them. And then very suddenly, I woke with a terrible sense of urgency. It was something that I must do. I looked at my watch. It was ten minutes to five. The train was dark. Everything was quiet. And yet... I felt I had to get up. I started to put on my clothes. It didn't make sense, but then I remembered. It was Tom Hatfield, not me, who had to get up at five, leave the train at Adana to cross the border into Syria and take his plane. Those dispatches must be important. If he had to change to a fast plane as soon as he got out of neutral Turkey. When I stepped out into the dimly lit corridor, it was... It was deserted. I knocked on Hatfield's door. No answer. I tried the handle. The door slid open into darkness. Something was wrong. I switched on the light and went in. Tom Hatfield lay there in the bunk asleep. Hey, Hatfield! Rise and shine! We're coming into Adana. You've got to get off. I shook him. He didn't move. Then I saw blood on his pillow. And on his head. I looked around quickly. The briefcase was gone. Kiborkian! Kiborkian! Is something wrong, sir? Did either of you see anybody go into number 10? No. Nobody. Who should go... Look, do you have keys to the doors? But no. There are no keys. The lock from the inside is sliding bolt and chain. Nobody can get in once they are locked. Yeah, that's what I thought. I knew Tom Hatfield would have locked that door. Somebody must have gotten in some other way and left that corridor door open as a false clue. But how? Then I noticed the door which connected to number eight. I tried it. It was locked. This didn't make sense. But through my mind was racing one thought. American dispatches have been stolen. Tom Hatfield is out. It's up to me. I, I searched the room. I found an automatic under the mattress, but no briefcase. I heard the train start up again. We were leaving Adana. And I looked again at the connecting door. Then I got it. The bolt was fastened on the other side of that door, but on this side it was not. That meant that someone could have come in through number eight. I knocked on the door. 
I heard a movement, and then the bolt slid back and the door swung open. I was face to face with Mr. Chiniara, and he was staring at the gun in my hand. What is it? What is that for? The briefcase. The bag of my friend. Is it here? Briefcase? Bag? Oh, we have here only our valises. This door has been opened. Something is missing. Oh, if you have lost something, I pray you to look. I know nothing of it. Hey, come in, please, and look. All right, I will. I'm not accusing anyone, but I just want to be sure that... Oh! The next thing I felt was a stinging coldness on my face, a rushing of wind. I realized that I was hanging half out of the window of the car. They were shoving me out of the train. Savagely, I, I kicked. Felt something give. And I pushed myself back and slid down onto the floor. Felt something hard under me. The gun. In the dim compartment, I saw them coming at me. Chiniara and Rika. I raised the gun. What is it? What has happened? Oh, look. On the floor. Shut the door quickly. Are they... Wait. Let me look. Yes. Both of them. Finish. They... They took the briefcase. I'm sure they did. Hey, who's shooting up the place? Hatfield. Holy cow. Will you look at that? What's happened? Well, the briefcase. It's here someplace. I'm sure it is. Hey, wait a minute, fella. You're all banged up here. Looks like we both got bumped. Here, sit down. You'll need a drink. Mary, you'll find a pint in my bag. Bring it in here, will you? But... But they got the papers. Okay. We ought to look. They did. Yeah, the briefcase isn't here. I, I don't see it. Oh, well, there wasn't anything in that briefcase except some old Istanbul newspapers. They probably threw it out the window. Back at Haider Pasha, a Britisher I know warned me to be careful on this trip. I put my classified material someplace else. Oh, but then that means I killed two men without any cause. Without a shred of evidence to back up my story. Uh, how we waste time. Quick, the Syrian border police got on the train at Adana. They might be here any minute. Now, who is dead here? <laughs> Mary, the deadhead, took me into Hatfield's room and carefully administered first aid to my cuts and bruises. But Kevorkian and Hatfield were busy in number eight. What... what are they doing? Never mind. Pay no attention. But they're throwing the bodies out of the window. Think not of it, please. I, Kevorkian, is a Macedonian. When he fought the Germans at Thessalonica, he threw bodies over the cliffs. He knows what he is doing. Oh, but... But you... you are a brave man, too. Even if you are not Macedonian, you would be judgment-tried for two, three years in spite of your age and your innocence. It is better to have no bodies. What's that? Be quiet now. The border police. Well, we got the room cleaned up just in time. She has their passport. I forgot. No, they are not here. I... I can tell you about Chiniara and Rika. This man here, Mr. Ward, he is American general in disguise, secret service. He put Chiniara and Ricard off at Adana with pistols. They were spies. Good heavens, he'll never believe that. Never mind. This man is a Syrian. He does not care what happens in Turkey. But do you have any Syrian money? Oh, oh yes, yes. Here, in my wallet. Good. Give it to me. <laughs> Thank you. Now, come with me, Sergeant. Do not worry now, Mr. Ward. In a moment, Aiki Vorkian will have those passports. We will throw them out the window, and there will be no trace. And to think, Mary, I thought you might be drawing down an Axis paycheck. Oh, it is no matter. Now we are out of Turkey. And before long, 
I can go to United States. Maybe that might not be so easy. You've got no money, no passport, no transportation through the combat zones. Never mind. I shall do it. I walk to here from Macedonia. I can walk all the way. Like St. Paul in the Bible walked to Rome. Well, I wish you luck, but you'll have a time getting by British control at Aleppo. You can't smuggle a pack of cigarettes past them. Oh, but what about me? What about a murderer? I don't know. We'll see. It was morning when the train pulled into Aleppo, the station where British control came on. The trip had been pretty awful. With Tom trying to act as if nothing had happened, and with me staring into that empty room, imagining Chiniara and Drika sitting there staring back at me. Maybe they had been spies, maybe not. Now they were dead, and I was in trouble. We knew that the minute the train stopped. A soldier stood outside our windows and said, Look here! Everyone remains in his place in this car! We waited silently for many minutes. Then a British major in khaki short stepped in. Behind him I saw Kiborki and Mary the Deadhead standing in the doorway. Good morning, I'm Radcliffe. I'm looking for two missing passengers identified as Greeks. Tiniara and, uh, and Brikar by name. Oh, come now, they seem to have been in the next compartment. Yeah. What became of them? Were there two? Hmm. Young lady. Yes, sir? You weren't in number eight, were you? You don't seem to have any other place. Nor a Syrian entrance visa. Please. I sat down in the corridor. It's quiet. Conductor, don't you remember two passengers booked through to Aleppo? One was a stout man. Bookseller who escaped from Greece ten days ago. The other Ah, was... those. They descended from the car at Adana. One was fat with slick hair, and the other... Oh, oh yes. yes. Really? I say, isn't that a bullet hole in the wall up there? And you, sir, Mr. Ward, isn't it? Uh, How did you hurt your forehead? I... Uh, an accident. Uh, I bumped into... Oh, a... yes, quite. I should tell you that the Armenian couple in number 14 heard shots just after passing Adana. They were so frightened they locked themselves in until now. It's no use. I... I shot them. Both of them. They hit me first. Please realize that I'm not joking. My orders are to find those two pseudo-Greeks wherever they may be. Wait a minute. You said pseudo-Greeks? You mean... Major, you want to find them? Mm -hmm. And how, as you Americans say. But why? Because we're advised by Istanbul that certain Axis agents have been working out of the Balkans with identification as refugees. These two, uh... Tiniara and Dikar were on this train. Our man on the train saw them throw something out at Adana. They hardly threw themselves out. No, we did that. Your man at Haida Pasha tipped me off to expect trouble. Really? So they were agents. Certainly they were spies. I knew that. No Greek would be fat like Chiniara after only one week escape from the Germans. And no Greek would have hair oil from Paris? Well, that being the case... Will somebody start telling the truth? I will. This mild little gentleman, knowing nothing of the war and fighting, he kills you two men in a gunfight. How you say, like nobody business. And now, please, he is still suffering from shock. So will you please give him a plane direct to Cairo where he can rest? And this American courier, he is late with dispatches. He must have a place in the plane, too. And, and since I cannot enter Syria without a passport, will you please 
put me also on the plane. Because in Cairo, I can get a job as a nurse with the Ella Greeks from Macedonia who are there. And maybe God will then give me a way to go to America. Like he passed St. Paul through the Taurus Gate. Is it a deal, Major? Three places on the first plane, and you have your men like the Royal Canadian Hoosies, only dead. Hmm. Plane could be arranged, of course, if... All right, Mr. Ward. Tell him. Tell him. With the eyes of that amazing girl on me, my courage came back. I told him my story, completely, in every detail. He listened carefully and took it all down on his pad, and afterwards he said... That story, Mr. Ward, is not one bit of evidence to support it. By your own statement, the evidence is buried in the snow on the slopes of the Taurus Mountains. Nuts. I tell you, I helped chuck it out. And I examined the two men. I am a trained nurse, and I said they were dead. And for identification, I, a soldier of Macedonia, can swear that their passports were the men you say. Hmm. Very well. I'll ring the airdrome. The evidence of three good witnesses is sufficient. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Three Good Witnesses by Harold Lamb. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel, with Morgan Farley as Humphrey Ward, Jack Webb as Tom Hatfield, Jeanette Nolan as Mary the Deadhead, and Harry Bartell as Kivokian. Music was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Beginning next Sunday night, Escape will be heard at a new hour, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Next Sunday night, we escape with another exciting adventure story created for you by one of the world's great authors. Good night, then, until 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time next Sunday night when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Edgar Bergen and his wooden sidekick, Charlie McCarthy. Now, their special guests are Nelson Eddy and Billy Burke. Nelson Eddy was an American singer and actor who appeared in 19 musical films during the 1930s and 40s, as well as in opera and on the concert stage, radio, television, and in nightclubs. A classically trained baritone, he's best remembered for the eight films in which he co-starred with soprano Jeanette MacDonald. He was one of the first crossover stars, a superstar appealing both to shrieking Bobby Soxers and the opera world. In his heyday, he was the highest paid singer in the world. Billy Burke, well, she was an American actress who was famous on Broadway, on radio as well, and she's best known to audiences as Glinda, the good witch of the North, 
in the 1939 movie musical The Wizard of Oz. This program was first aired in 1947. Nelson Eddy and Billy Burke guesting with Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. The makers of Chase and Sanborn Coffee bring you the Charlie McCarthy Show! This is Ken Carpenter, ladies and gentlemen, greeting you on behalf of Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Ray Noble of this orchestra, Nita Gordon, Mortimer Stern, Pat Patrick, and our guests for this evening, Nelson Eddy and Miss Millie Burke. And here's Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy! Bergen's got a birthday. Bergen's got a birthday. What's the racket, Charlie? Oh, hello, Beggy. I, I hate to bring up unpleasant subjects. <laughs> but isn't today your birthday? Yes, yes, it is. But uh, I, I don't mind having birthdays. No? No, of course. I, I must confess that today I sort of sneaked into my thirties. Uh, <laughs> sneak into the 30s. Yeah, yeah. Brother, you have slopped over into the 40s. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did you ever notice, Charlie, that, uh, that most of the great men were born in February? Yeah. Well, there's Washington and Lincoln and, uh, Bergen and Jack Betty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're the exceptions that, that louts up the rule. <laughs> Well, anyway, Charlie, I, I felt flattered that, that you remembered my natal day. Well, that's all right, Bergen. I, I'm not one to hold a grudge. Oh, <laughs> I even bought you a birthday present. A present? Uh-huh. Well, well, now, thank you, Charlie. You, you don't know, Charlie, what your thoughtfulness means to me. Uh-huh. No, no, I, uh, I, well, you, well, the, the words seem to stick in my throat. Yeah, well, I... <laughs> Your words stick in my throat, too. <laughs> you know, I... I, I won't... <laughs> Lend me your hanky bergen way. You haven't a handkerchief? Well, I got a dead beetle wrapped up in mine. No, I... <laughs> well, may I unwrap this present now? You go ahead. I wanted to get you a silver cigarette lighter. Oh. But I... Just couldn't quite make it, so I got you this. Oh, well, you shouldn't have, Charlie. It's a. Uh, well, is this the present? Yeah. This can of lighter fluid? Yeah. I knew you'd like it. Maybe next year I can get you the lighter to go with it. I see. <laughs> Happy birthday, Edgar. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nelson Eddy. Well, thank you. Edgar, how about a light? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry, Nelson. I haven't any matches. Uh, well, where's the lighter we all chipped in on? Mr. Eddie, why don't you sing, huh? Now? Yeah, even sooner. Oh, no, 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 not yet. I, I want to see Bergen's new silver... Yeah, let's cigarette. sing a duet, Mr. Eddie. Come on. Shortening bread, lengthening bread. Tra -la 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 -la. <laughs> quiet, quiet, Charlie. Now, today's Edgar's birthday. What about the lighter, huh? Yeah, you're right, Mr. Eddie. I believe Bergen is lighter. Yeah. Especially around the hairline. <laughs> uh, I don't change the subject. 
Edgar, didn't Charlie give you the monogram cigarette lighter he collected our money for? Uh-huh. The noose is tightening. <laughs> Say, I'd like to wear this, too. Good. <laughs> Charlie, yeah. they're insinuating that you've misappropriated their money. That's fine. <laughs> now I suggest that you ask them to prove it. Well, that's the trouble. I think they can. Yeah. <laughs> After all, Charlie, what did you take us for? Ten bucks. No, I mean, I mean... <laughs> I can explain everything. Well, we're waiting, Charlie. Yes, sir. Well, you see, I was walking down to, to buy the lighter, you know, mm-hmm. Mr. Car- you know. Yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, zzz, a candy store came up and snacked me right in the kitchen. Oh, a candy store, huh? Yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir. Uh-huh. And I tried to pass it. Oh, so help me, I tried. But I couldn't. It sort of, it sort of hypnotized me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good, Yeah, yeah. All right, Charlie, keep talking. Yeah, yeah. well, suddenly temptation set in, see? And, you know, I haven't been so tempted since the, the time the truant officer leaned over to tie his shoe. <laughs> Don't tell me you spent the whole $10 on candy. Oh, of course not. The rest of it went for a repeating bean shooter, a wire-tapping outfit, and... Why, the little Jesse James, he clipped us like a head. Yeah, we should have had more sense in the trust, Charlie. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So don't try to blame me for your stupidity. That... <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, what are you going to do about it, Charlie? Well, I'll be big about it. I am perfectly willing to forget the whole incident. <laughs> Charlie, I think a good spanking is in order. Spank a kid like me? Yeah. I thought that was all behind me. <laughs> That's exactly where you're going to get it. Now, Joe, they'll beg you, please help, help, help. Our singing star, Miss Anita Gordon, sings now A Gal in Calico, accompanied by Ray Noble and his orchestra. She's a gal in calico down in Santa Fe. Used to have a Sunday boy, but he rode away. Does he want her? Does he want her love? Yes, sirree. Will he win her? Will he win her love? Wait and see. Now he's with a rodeo, goes from town to town. Most every kind of gal, every kind of gown. But who made his heart sing? Yippee I, yippee oh, his little gal in Calico.
actors wanted by the Artists Overseas Service Guild. See? Get the idea? No, boy, no, I don't. Well, we'll get Eddie to go around uh, the world, see, on a round-world trip. <laughs> yes, but uh, how on earth will he get back? Well, that's his worry. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, we'll, we'll act as his agents and sign him up, see? Oh, yes, now I get it. We're going to sell him. Right down the river. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get going, Ray. Here. This is Billy Burke speaking. This is the Overseas Service Gilded Artist. And I mean, this is the Overgilded Artist Service C. Uh, the C's Overstuffed Artist Service. Oh, I hope you have the wrong number. Goodbye. And now to get back to our dictation. Uh, yours sincerely, Nelson Eddy. That last letter must be about three pages long. Did you get all of it? Well, almost. What did you say after dear sir? You mean you didn't take it down? What happened to your shorthand? I must have left it in my other pencil. Oh, fine thing. I donate my time to get overseas entertainment. The least they could do is provide me with a capable stenographer. Well, I promise to do better, Mr. Burke. Good. Now, the next... My name is Mr. Eddie. Your name is Burke. Well, of course. It always takes me a while to get people's names straight. Well, then I'll forgive you, Miss Eddie. Thank you. Did you get all those letters typed that I dictated this morning? Oh, I mislaid my glasses. Then you didn't do them? Yes, yes, I did, but I typed them all on the cash register. <laughs> you mean you couldn't tell the difference? Well, I did get a little suspicious when the front end of the machine kept popping out and hitting me in the tummy. <laughs> oh, enough of this. Now, look, I have to find a singer for this show that is leaving tomorrow. Well, I interviewed a woman yesterday with a fine contralto voice. Well, how did she sound? Oh, something like this. Open the door, Oh, no, 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 I'm looking for a baritone voice. Oh, Miss Eddie, why don't you sing for me and show me just what you want? <laughs> The worst three children from a land of Israel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and they took a trip into the land of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, it took a lot of gold and he made an idol, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And he told everybody when you hear the music of the cornet and the flute and the harp, you must fall down and worship the idol Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But the children of Israel would not bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you couldn't fool them with a golden idol. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I said you couldn't fool them with a golden idol. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. So the king put the chillin' in a pirate burnish. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, heaped on the coals and the red hot brimstone. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, seven times hotter, too hotter than it ought to be. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, burned up the soldiers the king had put down. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But the Lord 
angel with snow and white wings down in the middle of the finest, talking to the children about the plot of the gospel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Ah, well, I couldn't even burn a hell to hate a Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, laughing and talking while the pile was a jumping round. Yeah, 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 Meshach, Abednego. Now, old Nebuchadnezzar called her Peter when he saw the power of the Lord. And he had a big time in the house of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Abednego. Yeah, man, and there's gospel. Well, this must be the place, Ray. It, it, see, it says right here on the door, it says, The Artist Overseas Service Guild. Yeah. Let's go in. Well, where is everybody? Oh? Hello, anybody here? Well, what can I do for you, gentlemen? Uh, well, madam, we are here, you see. Oh, of course. You're here to wash the windows. No, <laughs> no, no, no. No, we have a very fine singer we want to send out of the country. Do you wear theatrical agents? Yes, madam. Agents have to have, uh, and I beg your pardon, actors have to have agents. Oh, 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 I know. I... <laughs> I was in show business once. Oh, really? And uh, were you a dancer? No, no. I started out as a flagpole sitter. But I kept slipping to half-mast. Oh. <laughs> that was too bad. No, no, it wasn't. After that, I got a better job with the circus. They shot me out of a cannon. I say, that must have thrilled the audience. Oh, yes, I went over with a bang. <laughs> that wasn't a very nice job for a lady, being loaded every night. Uh, <laughs> did it pay well? Yes, I got room and board and ten cents a mile. <laughs> it, it was really quite pleasant flying through the air with the wind and popcorn in my hair. Except when I missed the net. Yeah. Missed it quite often, didn't you, Kitty? <laughs> yes, but I still love the circus. I guess I have sawdust in my blood. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you too. Well, I know how you feel. Hang <laughs> on. Yeah. Um, my name is Ursula Twing, and... Yes, uh, yes oh, that's right, it surely is. <laughs> I am just the world's peachiest portrayer of Shakespearean characterizations. Well, of course, that's all very well and good, you know, but not many people read Shakespeare nowadays. Well, I do, because a very good friend of mine once gave me the words. <laughs> what a pity. You just can't trust anyone. I know Tell me, are you familiar with uh, uh, The Merchant of Venice? Well, no, I am not, you see, because I live in Achulia Vestia. <laughs> Yes, I really do. Uh, but I do know Hamlet. You do? Yes, and I quote, uh, to be or not to be, that is the question. Is it real? Uh -huh. <laughs> well, no, it's not really. It isn't much of a question either because I know all the answers. <laughs> you strike me as the romantic type. Oh, for goodness sakes, my gosh, I do. <laughs> 
Yes, I can just see you climbing up the trellis, doing the balcony, balcony scene in Romeo and Juliet. You can. Mm. Oh, well, I tried that once, but the altitude made my nose bleed. <laughs> oh, I, I was, I was a mess. No, certainly are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 forsooth on you. And forsooth. And forsooth on you, too. And a double forsooth right back to you. Yeah, if that's the way you feel, I will go. Oh, parting is such sweet sorrow. But I will only say goodbye, I <laughs> Could you please hurry, madam? We want to see the man who books the entertainment overseas. Well, whom shall I say is calling? Well, tell him it's Rush and Hurry, theatrical representatives for Nelson Eddy. <laughs> Very good, sir. I shall tell him. Just a moment. Mr. Eddie, there are two agents outside who say they want to send you overseas. Well, uh, what do they look like? Well, one is a short fellow with a high silk monocle, and the other is a blonde man in a tall tuxedo. Aha! Uh-huh. That's McCarthy and Noble. I'll fix him. This makeup I have here is going to come in handy. Why are you putting on those false whiskers? I'm going to scare the pants off them. Oh, dear, this is no place for a lady. Show them in, and remember, don't give me away. Oh, you know me. Dumb is the word. <laughs> Yahoo, boys. I mean, gentlemen, come in. Oh, my, you must think I'm a scatterbrain. Yeah, well, we'd be glad to. <laughs> Run along now. <clears throat> say, say, who is this guy with the chin fungus, this face lace here? Kaminsky, my friendskies. How do you do, Ski? My name is Boroslav Yeriovich. Yeah. I understand that you represent Nelson Hedy. Yeah. Now, where would you like to send him? Here's a map. Well, where we would like him to go ain't on the map. <laughs> uh, let's see me. I got a split weight between Minsk and Pinsk. Well, he wants to go on a longer trip than that. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, how about Tibet, for example? Yeah. Ah, uh, but people who go there, they never come back. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds pretty good, Charles. Oh, yeah. hey, give us the contract for Tibet, yeah. Yes, uh, and shall we both sign it? Oh, da, I want you both to get what is coming to yeah. you. Sure. Uh-huh. Well, R-T-H-Y McCarthy. Signed and delivered. Yeah, God bless you, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I sort of hate to do this to Nelson. <laughs> I'll see my Now, now, you gentlemen, you will have to be ready to leave tomorrow. Uh, no, no, you're mistaken. We are not leaving. No, you are the mistaken. Huh? You have signed a contract to leave tomorrow. What? And now I take off my whiskers. Nelson, Eddie! Oh, no! Oh, but Mr. Eddie, where are you going to send us? Admiral Byrd needs some entertainment at the South Pole. Oh! <laughs> ay, 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 that means Southern Fried Penguin. I don't like it. <laughs> The United States. 
States Army has asked us to call the attention of young men to the opportunities it offers for education, travel, and interesting work. Officials point out that the Army today is a new Army. It's a big Army. It's a technical Army. And it's involved in the most important question we face today, the maintenance of world peace. Full information on the opportunities offered to young men can be obtained easily at any Army recruiting office or by writing to the United States Army, Washington, D.C. Be sure and listen in next Sunday when Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Ray Noble, Anita Gordon, and Pat Patrick will welcome as their guest Elsa Maxwell, and Nelson Eddy will also be back with us. week when you're buying coffee, think of us and ask for Chase and Sanborn, the coffee with shade-grown flavor. This is Ken Carpenter speaking to you from the Pasadena Playhouse, Pasadena, California. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with The Whistler, followed by Duffy's Tavern. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.